there's a big change and everyone's going to experience that change differently and have different levels of proficiency. So I think as leaders, uh, just remembering how to support people through the process of change is super important. This is Voices of Public Health, the JSI podcast. All right, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, my name is Stacey Moody, and I'm a senior consultant at John Snow, Inc., a JSI. And my work here at JSI is focused on supporting health centers um, as they strengthen their organizational capacity to provide the quality and comprehensive primary care services um, to those in their community, and especially to those who are experiencing the various barriers to getting access to that health care. Um, and as we all may know, um, we know COVID-19 has had a significant impact on community health centers across the nation and in numerous ways, including um, their capacity and the methods that they use to deliver care. And one of the areas that we've been looking into um, is the impact of COVID-19 at health centers and the changes to how health centers um, deliver the care in their community. And we know that one of the most significant changes is the use of telehealth as a way to care for their patients. And prior to COVID, you know, telehealth was a method used by a small number of health centers and typically for fairly distinct services. Um, and while health, while health centers have expressed the desire to um, increase the use of telehealth, we know that multiple barriers have held them up in the past in terms of this uptake, such as you know, different regulations or payments or um, a robust understanding of really when and how to best use telehealth. I'm thrilled to have Donald Moore uh, join us today. Donald is the CEO of Pueblo Community Health Center. Um, and we've been working with Donald and his health center over the years to help support their community needs assessments, um, as well as to build um, their integrated healthcare model. So um, Donald, I wanna thank you for joining us today um, and hope to learn more about what Pueblo Community Health Center is doing and your work um, to bring telehealth into your health center over the past eight months. Um, so with that, um, I'll introduce Donald Morris. Sure, I've been with uh, Public Community Health Center for 21 years and uh, been the CEO for um, 12 of those. Previously, I uh, served as the Chief Operations Officer, so I've seen a lot of different aspects of the organization. Uh, Pueblo Community Health Center is located in Pueblo, Colorado. Um, our county has a population of 165,000. Uh, the city of Pueblo itself is about 100,000 and is in the center of the county and is, is largely surrounded by mostly uh, agricultural uh, and more rural type areas. <clears throat> um, the health center has been serving the community since 1983, so um, 30, 37 years now. And our, our mission, like most community health centers, is to make sure that people have access to quality uh, primary health care. Um, our active patient base is around 30,000 patients. Yeah, when did you realize that, that you needed to find a way to incorporate telehealth into your service um, and your, your care model, um, and especially around you know, your, your integrated care model with um, team-based care? When we initiated telehealth in response to the pandemic, um, the goal was really how do we connect the patient with the provider 
so that the patient's needs on that particular day could be met. We, we were really trying to achieve a basic level of service provision in the early days. Um, now we are trying to figure out um, how telehealth is most appropriately used within our care model. And, and maybe it would be helpful for me to, to uh, unpack what, when I say care model, what does that mean at Public Community Health Center? Um, the care model for us um, involves uh, several things. One element is um, utilizing all members of the team to their you know, highest and best use, top of their license, if you will. And our model includes medical assistance, a behavioral health provider, uh, care navigators, um, uh, RNs, and of course, uh, the primary care provider. We have family practitioners, physician assistants, nurse, nurse practitioners. So um, at the onset of the um, pandemic, um, really in terms of the, the visit itself, it, it was mainly involving the patient, the medical assistant and the provider and any of the um, other team members that needed to be involved in that patient, meeting that patient's needs, that tended to happen subsequent to the visit. Whereas within an in-person visit, many of that stuff could happen concurrently or, or successively while the patient was on site, okay? So that was definitely an area where um, the service was different and, and, um, and, and changed. The other element of our care model is integrated care, um, where we have behavioral health immediately available um, at the physical health uh, visit. So um, that's what care, the care model looks like at PCHC. So um, now that we've you know, got our sea legs and, and we're, we've got our patient's access level back up to where it was before the pandemic hit, We've, under the direction of our chief medical officer, we've assembled a, a team that is looking at um, how to utilize telehealth and achieve our, our care model objectives. Um, and, and this is probably a good point for me to emphasize um, a really key thing that we've learned, and that's that telehealth isn't a care model. Telehealth is a tool. Um, an in-person visit is a tool. Telehealth is a tool. Um, and, and so that's our orientation with respect to telehealth. Um, we're not doing telehealth for telehealth's sake. We're doing tele, we're trying to figure out how do we use telehealth to achieve our, our ends. So it's a means and ends thing. Telehealth is a means. The ends are improving our patients' health outcomes. Our, our ends are engaging patients in their care and having them achieve a greater control over their health. Um, our ends are making sure that people don't experience barriers when they need healthcare. Our ends are um, treating patients with dignity and respect and serving them in a culturally competent way. So. Um, how does telehealth enable those things? That's what we're trying to figure out. 
and we've and we've learned a good bit over this experience um, in doing it. So, building on the understanding that you were new to telehealth for the most part at the beginning of of COVID, um, and then had this opportunity to bring in uh, or to have somebody look at it and help design um, what telehealth was going to look like. But in the midst of the pandemic, while you're you're making some of these changes and having to respond rapidly, um, were there um, was there, you know, anything that helped you kind of balance that um, understanding of we need to be making these changes to telehealth now, um, but we want to do this in an informed way. Can you talk about a little bit about that process and that the, the continuity there and the balance between those two components that could be conflicting? What our guiding question was when we entered into our um, discovery uh, process and the, the guiding question was the following. How can Pueblo Community Health Center select and incorporate virtual care methods into its care model to enhance patient care team relationships, engage care teams throughout implementation, and navigate the ambiguous reimbursement and regulatory future of virtual care services? So as we did our discovery, this was the guiding question we always came back to to make sure we were looking at what we wanted to look at. What, what um, early on we looked at um, the current state of virtual care, um, you know, what's, what's going on right now. And, and what, what we found was there was reduced patient demand um, I think that was more an art, it, it, it was twofold artifact of the pandemic, people staying home and just not, you know, sure of what was going to happen. But the other was our ability to, to ramp up the telehealth. Um, the, the scope of services we could provide was constrained via telehealth. Um, we were starting to recognize certain benefits of telehealth, and we can talk more about those later if you want. Um, we realized that our technology was fragmented and there was a great deal of variation in our um, staff and patients' capabilities in using the technology. And as I mentioned in the guiding question, um, the future reimbursement landscape was unknown. I mean, in the near term, um, payers are, are funding us for telehealth, but all the payers are trying to figure out what it's going to look like long run. What a light bulb that went on for me um, early on in our discovery was um, um, is kind of an analogy. Um, I I realized that we needed to look at telehealth as um, not something that you're not doing one day and then you are doing the next day. It's definitely a glide path um, situation and experience, at least that's how we've experienced it. And the analogy I would make is to, uh, and, and I think a lot of community health centers um, might be able to identify with this, and that's the, the journey we've all had with respect to integrating behavioral health into primary care, you know, where, okay, the literature says this can be useful and lead to better outcomes, so let's do it. And, 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 you know, you, you start, you start off simply and then you, you build, you learn and you build and you grow on it. 
uh, grow from it. And um, early on, we we sort of said that's the approach we need to take with telehealth. You know, where are we now? Where do we want to go? And what are the steps to get there? And we found a pretty useful, um, you know, from the literature, um, we found a pretty useful uh, model uh, called the the telehealth uh, maturity model. And it was promulgated by a company called Impact Advisors. Just like with uh, integrated behavioral health care, there's various stages you go through from, from um, you know, simple to uh, more integrated and mature. And, and so that helped us define where we are and it, and it enabled us to understand what the next step looks like in terms of functionality and the elements of the program and where we ultimately could go with it. So it provided like a conceptual roadmap. That was, that was uh, pretty helpful uh, to us in conceptualizing uh, things, so. Yeah, so they're using that kind of maturity model or that understanding of where you were at in telehealth. And as you um, kind of mapped out, this is where we wanna be and how we wanna get there. What were some of those kind of critical decision points that you had to make along the way um, in terms of you know, how you um, include telehealth into your care model? Let me back up. What, what we did up front is we um, collected some data about how it was working in the very short period of time that we were using it. We surveyed the industry literature and research to understand what, what worked well um, in care settings where it had been in use a much uh, longer time and in a more robust way. And then we, we looked at those, all those ends that we wanted to achieve and we, we um, determined that there were uh, several elements that we wanted to achieve to guide our decision-making. We have identified six um, elements that we think are necessary and prerequisites for a good telehealth program. And um, the first one is that a service you provide over telehealth must adhere to acceptable standards of care. Now, that sounds like a no-duh uh, statement. Um, I mean, we all want to provide our patients with quality care, um, you know, that's safe, effective, efficient. But we, we thought it was important to say explicitly because when we um, spoke with our providers within the first two months of using telehealth, <clears throat> it really came through in those interviews and our surveys with our providers that the difference between them being comfortable providing care via telehealth and not being comfortable providing telehealth came back to whether they felt they were offering the patient care at a quality level equal to or better than the standard of care during the in-person visit. So we wanted to say that and be explicit about it. The second most important thing was ease of use. And there's a, there's a lot of aspects of that, but basically we are talking about 
Um, will the provider adopt it and utilize it? And will the patient adopt it and utilize it? It's one thing to have a snazzy technology framework and all the bells and whistles and gadgets, but if no one uses it, what good is it? You're not gonna be able to pursue those ends uh, that I mentioned earlier. So ease of use floated to the top in our criteria list. Next was patient satisfaction. Um, I mean, patient satisfaction, you know, yes, is customer service, but it's also, as we understand it, you know, the, the patient's willing to adhere to treatment, engage in their care, um, you know, be involved in, 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 be involved in their care. And then um, three other elements, which are really more operational, are um, facilitating the care team collaboration. So assuring the integrity of the care model, using all of the team members to the best of their ability, top of their license, um, complementing the workflow, um, and then finally cost-effective. And cost-effective um, for us uh, means really the ability to support the, the method of care um, at a, at a cost-effective level. Um, obtaining the reimbursement that supports the technology that's implemented and the and the, the interaction between the provider and the patient. So those were the six uh, measuring sticks we came up with that we're using to decide um, our future telehealth program. And so really, the, some of the clinical pieces that you covered there, the kind of key clinical measures that, that all health centers are, are looking at um, and monitoring and then reporting to HRSA. And so it looks like there's some opportunity that you took advantage of, of looking at the literature and what does it say in terms of the, the use of telehealth and its effectiveness and, and what you're working on as a health center. Did you do that as a formal process in terms of looking at your clinical, you know, your patients as well as the clinical quality measures that, that you were, you know, addressing or, or working to address? Absolutely. Um, we have a clinical data committee that's existed a long time, and that's a cross-functional group of leaders that every month look at our uh, UDS indicators. And uh, UDS is Uniform Data System. That's a standardized national reporting system that community health centers have. I thought I'd just define that in case some of your audience are community health centers. But it, it, it's, it's, the, it's the stuff that we're all trying to do really well. Asthma management, hypertension management, prenatal care, oral health care, depression screening, uh, tobacco screening. Um, and we have continued to monitor those outcomes um, the same way that we always have. Another thing that, um, has validated uh, our direction and our growing proficiency with telehealth is uh, the state of Colorado's Medicaid program recently shared some data on federally qualified health centers and um, what primary diagnoses um, are being offered uh, over telehealth. And I'll just give you kind of the, the top ones here. Number one is hypertension, uh, next anxiety disorder. Uh, third, diabetes, 
um, fourth uh, um, respiratory um, uh, problems or infections. Uh, next was asthma, and um, and then it kind of goes on from there. So um, generalized anxiety disorder was near the top also. So um, I'm really seeing alignment both at a statewide level and, and within our practice, um, a good overlap with the outcomes we're trying to improve. Yeah, that's important. Um, I wanted to talk about, you know, you've, we've spoken a lot about how you've used this to inform, you know, how you built in telehealth rapidly, um, you know, over the past eight months. And I wanted to get more from you about where, where you think um, your health center can continue to evaluate, you know, how you've implemented telehealth um, in the future and how you're going to measure that to really kind of, as you mentioned earlier, you know, understanding, you know, where you wanted to go with telehealth and what you, you know, direction you had set, set previously. And then those markers that you're assessing along the way, you know, even into the future and beyond these next couple months. Um, so what evaluation components do you, do you think will be critical? Well, um, there, I think there's several things there. Um, first, first of all, the, we have those six elements that I talked about earlier. Um, again, those will be our measuring sticks um, around which we will design the program. And so, you know, that adherence to treatment, um, ease of use as defined by um, patient and provider adoption, um, patient satisfaction and engagement, um, and then the operational issues around workflows, utilizing all of the team members, and, and being able to deliver it cost-effectively. Um, those will be, from a program planning standpoint, those are, those are the, our goals and our measuring sticks. The other is that maturity model. Um, and uh, maybe I can just be a little more granular with that. Um, you know, currently we're using, you know, telehealth in a relatively limited manner. Um, we don't have a formal organizational structure guiding, you know, how we use it and how we develop it. Um, it, it it's a pretty, it's pretty siloed in terms of, you know, one provider may be using it a certain way and another provider may be using it a different way. In fact, we have some providers that, you know, will use um, one platform and another provider is more comfortable using a different platform. So that gives you an idea of the lack of standardization that we currently have. So one of the evaluation measures um, in this maturity model that we'll be looking at is to what degree are we starting to standardize and create a, a standard of care or a standard of use with telehealth. And in the maturity model, there's five stages. We rated ourselves somewhere between stage one and stage two, and I described what that looked like a little bit. But the next step in the process is really to get you know to stage three where, where you're using a more standardized approach across your organization. That's great because um, it breeds familiarity with the delivery method, with patients, with staff, with providers. It 
um, allows our IT to support it more effectively, you know, because supporting one platform or a, at least a portfolio of platforms where they can really intensively support that to the best of their ability is better than supporting a wide variety of what everyone, what, what everyone feels like they want to use on a, any given day. And then, and then we have this virtual care team that's been formed that's going to you know, determine policies and procedures and standards and guidelines and best practices and staff and ways to train staff to utilize the platform uh, we provide. You know, that's the governance that's really necessary. I think, I think any of my peers that might be listening to our talk here would certainly agree, you know, if they reflect on any successful initiative within their organization, you always have that mix of what's 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 the best practice we're trying to implement, what's the structure and governance around which we're going to guide development, implementation, and evaluation of the model. And then, and then the leadership of it, you know, driving it down through the organization. So, I would really promote um, organizations thinking about, you know, what what's what's the process by which you want to define your program and govern it over the long run? Because that's that's really how you, you know, it's the PDSA model. You know, it's the identify what you want to improve, assemble a team. Um, collect the data, um, and then have the people involved in the system um, determine the things to implement and to try out and throw out what doesn't work and keep what does work and spread it. You know, that's the culture in our organization, and I think it's a pretty tried and true, you know, approach um, to that. I think some other evaluation measures are going to be um, what are the payers looking for. I mean, ultimately, this has to be sustainable. We have to be able to generate revenue to support it. Um, payers want telehealth to be used to enable their ends, you know, and their ends are driving per capita cost down, raising the overall health of the population. Um, our experience has been that payers are, are glad to support us in this crisis moment of the pandemic so that patients have continuity of care and access, but they're starting to engage us in discussions of how do we utilize telehealth to accomplish these longer term triple aim type goals. So um, we'll be definitely looking at that pretty, pretty closely. And then, you know, we continue to do patient satisfaction surveys and provider uh, focus groups to see, you know, from a qualitative standpoint and a perception standpoint, you know, is this thing working for you? <laughs> I mean, you know, the data is one thing, but uh, we're, we have human beings also. And it's, it's interesting to understand how providers and patients experience it. And um, I think that's super useful, informative information in developing your program. Yeah, one thing, Donald, that strikes me in our conversation today is, especially with the six elements that you've talked about, you know, the access to care, provider adoption, you know, use of your the model that you've been working to implement, you know, over the years, team-based care. If I just look at those six elements, um, I would think that, you know, those those six elements remain the same, even if we weren't in COVID. If you were to implement a new way of delivering care, 
you know, even telehealth, that those are six critical elements that have always been kind of a guiding light or a structure that you use at your health center. And not to oversimplify how complicated tel telehealth can be, but it strikes me that kind of that your guiding light and your North Star has, has stayed the same and you've made a very um, kind of pointed effort to keep it that way and not transition um, as you, you know, rapidly implement telehealth. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, you, you, I, I'm starting to see a lot of um, concept overlap here. I mean, we've, we've talked about triple aim. Um, the, the L, our six elements, um, our six elements, if, if you think about it, ref, reflect that chronic care model that Dr. Gaston promulgated and promoted um, in, in the late 90s and early 2000s, where <clears throat> you have a prepared care team that, that um, is ready to um, serve a patient with needs based upon um, evidence-based practice, um, ex, um, um, and a care model that that works for the patient, and and so, yeah, I think I think that's that's correct. Um, I hadn't thought about it this way. Those six elements are could be applied to in-person visits the same way they do with telehealth visits. I, probably one area of emphasis would probably be that ease of use piece. Um, we do have patients, you know, that don't have access to technology, and it's it's irrelevant to them. Telehealth is irrelevant to them. Um, Colorado has uh, a significant amount of its geography that's rural. And um, I know my peers at, who serve and lead rural-based community health centers um, have a, a, a degree of frustration with, with poor broadband. And you know some of the things we can do in Pueblo or Colorado Springs or Denver, you can't, you can't do out on the prairie or um, you know, if you're in the mountain towns. So there's some inequities um, with respect to the ability to implement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, with our work at JSI and, and the work we do around needs assessments for health centers, you know, we're beginning to look at and incorporate kind of those new data sets that we wouldn't specifically done in needs assessments. You know, now we are including, you know, access to broadband and, and additional factors that may may lead, lead to disparities, you know, as, as we implement telehealth um, and sustain it at different levels into the future. So that's a good point about um, that and how it varies from community to community. Um, I wanted to see, we've talked about a lot today, and I think a lot of great um, pieces that can help health centers or those supporting health centers across the nation as they grapple with telehealth and, um, you know, determine not only how they're going to continue to use that during the pandemic, but what it looks like afterwards. But I did just kind of want to pick your brain and get, you know, what do you think is that has been the most critical piece to you in terms of public community health center advancing telehealth and what you've learned so far? Like what has been your biggest aha moment in these eight to nine months um, that we've been in so far? Um, well, I, I, I think just that realization that telehealth is a means to an end, not, not the end in of itself. I, I think with technology, it, it is, it is easy to sort of 
become enamored with the technology. And, and when that happens, I think the technology starts to drive the way the care is delivered. And it really needs to be the other way around. And I would just recommend to my peers, um, stay true to what you believe <clears throat> is, is the, <clears throat> the best care you can deliver to your patients. And then, and then ask, how can technology enable that? Rather than saying, here's this cool new technology, how do we get people to use it? You know, it needs to be an enabling thing, um, not something that, that you're busy trying to get everybody to comply with. Um, yeah. That's probably the biggest learning um, that I've had in this process. The telehealth maturity model that you've spoken to in the five stages, and you talked about being at stage one or two, even with all that you're working now, you know, that there is still more, you know, potential movement down the road to reach the, the fifth level of, of maturity. Yeah. But with the fast, rapid implementation of telehealth, it may feel for some health centers that they were just, you know, they were pushed so quickly. So it may feel like they, they, they may feel that need to be further along in the maturity model because they had to implement telehealth so robustly so quickly, but it is okay that, you know, that, that recognition that there is a glide path to this, that it's okay, yeah. even though we all had to implement this quickly and more fully than we ever would have probably implementing anything else new, that it's okay where we're, you know, level one or level two, and then figure out, you know, how we get, you know, further down the road as we, as we move in the future. Yeah. So I, um, I, I wanted to mention, you know, one other thing about, you know, what I've learned, and, and I don't know if it's something new I've learned more than it is just something that's been reinforced, and and that's um, the telehealth is, I don't see it as a silver bullet. Um, I see it as useful. Um, I've called it a tool. Uh, I've mentioned that, but, you, you know, um, delivering, delivering healthcare uh, to a patient is all based on trust. The patient has to trust us. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing during this pandemic um, patterns, patterns um, or analogies where that in-person interaction is, is not replaceable. And I just I just want to at least comment on the on the the value of that uh, in person interaction. I, I would even go so far as to say is it's kind of a sacred thing. I mean, it, it I mean just think about anybody who has school aged children and how frustrated the students and the teachers are. Think about people who are frustrated because they can't go to their place of worship. And, and what's the common denominator of all that frustration? You, you, you can't be physically present with the person you trust. And, and so um, I just, as we, as we seek to become super proficient with telehealth, I just want to I just want to promote that magic moment that happens between a patient and their caregiver, just like the magic moment happens between a student and their teacher, uh, uh, a, um, a a person and their um, 
minister. Uh, I mean, we can think of all kinds of sacred relationships that we have in our lives. We're in healthcare, that patient provider interaction and the trust that's built in that in-person care is, it can't be replaced with technology. That's my personal opinion. And um, I think we can lower costs and improve quality with telehealth. But gosh, I, I don't ever see it replacing that magic moment where a patient finds a sense of uh, 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 healing and calmness and control over their lives that they get after visiting a healthcare provider. I think that's super that's important. That's a really good point. Yeah, absolutely. And not losing that, that critical piece that I think we've even maybe even felt personally as we work remotely or have staff work remotely, like you said, seeing our kids, but there's there are there are pieces that we do need to maintain in how we deliver our care um, and the importance of the the in person and physical visit, um, not just for clinical outcomes, but for how we interact and relate with with each other. That's that's very yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know we're rounding out our time here, but I wanted to check in, Donald, and see if there's anything that, that you had hoped to talk about today that we didn't talk about or any points that you thought were really important to make to our audience. I would just say, go, you know, use, use what you know, use your basics. I mean, we improve things all the time. Um, this is about just improving. And you don't have to make all the improvements all at once. Um, figure out where you are and go from there and, and, and do what's doable, you know, do what's within your resources. Um, do, do what your staff has the energy to do. Um, that's probably another thing that I've become aware of is just, especially during the pandemic, you know, the stress, you know, the, the factors contributing to our day-to-day -day stress are, are heightened right now. And, so what if you don't have a perfect telehealth system by the end of 2020, you know, 2021 will be here and you can work on it again next year. And, and so be careful, of, you know, how hard you push your, your staff. Um, and, uh, you know, there's obviously financial pressures and we need to, you know, keep up with that, but just remember that it, this is new for everybody. Um, if, if you're a clinician used to in-person visits for 20 years, this is a big change. This is a big change and everyone's going to experience that change differently and have different levels of proficiency. So I think as leaders, uh, just remembering how to support people through the process of change is super important. Yeah, yeah that's a good a good endpoint to make and as a leader the importance of you know keeping your your eye on all those balls um both in terms of how you're you know advancing care but but um you know being patient with yourself and with your health center with your staff and the staff and understanding there's a lot of a lot of these different pressures not just in terms of implementation of different health but there's a lot of different pressures going on right now so that the, the grace that we allow ourselves yeah. with that what are some of the critical pieces that you've learned along the way to help build where you're at now and continue to move forward in the future? This has been really insightful. We certainly appreciate your time in talking with us. Um, it's always it's always great. Well, you're welcome. I I, um, I think it's great that you guys are getting this information out and, and helping people figure things out.
So we'd like to thank everybody for joining us today. We hope that you found our conversation with Donald um, helpful and informative. If you would like to learn more about um, JSI and the work that we do, please go to uh, JSI.com where you can find more information. Um, once again, thank you, Donald, and thank you to everybody who joined us today. Thank you for listening to Voices of Public Health, the JSI podcast.